It's time to give up. Get your ass up. Throw your hands up and say, well. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your recovery meeting on the air. Welcome to Sober in the City. Here's your sobriety assistant, Debbie Strand. Do you or someone you care about suffer from untreated alcoholism or addiction? Contact Believe Treatment Center now, 1-855-874-2354, or visit BelieveTreatmentCenter.com. Believe Treatment Center, we understand. I'm Debbie Strand, back with more Sober in the City, talking about how you can work a program of recovery and overcome your addictions, whatever they are. Drugs, alcohol, gambling, smoking, shopping, food addictions, they're all life issues that we experience also. Whether you're in recovery or not, whether you need recovery or not, we're here to get you help. Call us now. Share your opinion. Tell me if you stayed sober through the weekend and how you did it or if you didn't. 800 Sober 5 and visit us at SoberInTheCity.com and listen live on the Sober in the City app for Apple Android devices. You can hear this show and previous shows. Share them with your friends. But right now, more about grief and relapse. What grieving have you tried to avoid by getting drunk and high? How has that worked out for you? And what could you have done better? I always explain to people that are trying to bury the pain of the past. It's like having garbage under the sink in the cabinet. And every time you open up that cabinet door, it smells really bad. And you keep closing the door. But that does not mean that the smell doesn't exist. That rotten pain, stinky pain is in there and it needs to come out. Yes, looking at it can be hard, but so is emptying the trash. You have to go in there and it stinks and it's heavy and you lift it out and you have to carry it out to the curb. Then the garbage man comes and he takes it away and it's gone forever. Do you know who the garbage man is in this scenario? It's God. You take the garbage out by doing your step work, by going through steps four and five and doing the rest of the steps with a sponsor. Listen to show 81 on SoberInTheCity.com if you're interested in what it takes to work those steps. We talk a lot about it in there and they may not be as hard as you're hoping them to be. You actually can do this. So the lesson I learned through this was that I have to get it out. Do the work, spend the time and get on the other side. Don't live in the stink and delay the process. We're going to go right to the callers. We've got Jeff from Downey, California. Jeff, welcome to Sober in the City. Thank you very much. Jeff, you hear me sharing about trying to avoid grief and that we know can bring you into relapse. When we're in pain, we don't like to feel. Can you share about something maybe that you've gone through and not stayed sober with or something you've gone through and have stayed sober or do you have the comparison of both? Oh, there's probably comparatives of both. I, I lost my mother in 2013 uh, with, what, three, three and a half years of sobriety. So I have been through it. I was fortunate myself. I was so beat up by the time I got sober that, that uh, drinking just wasn't an option for me. <laughs> It just wasn't an option. I, I, I would try and avoid any emotion. Um, I can't think of I can't think of a particular emotion that would not be a good cause for me to drink over, be it happy or sad or whatever it is. I could come up with a good reason to drink, whatever the emotion is. You know, the good stuff I celebrate, and the bad stuff we try and block out because you know we don't want to feel things. But um, she had a particular belief system that, that was well outside the traditional. Um, as far as what most religions would would teach. And to her, this was a very brief journey and a, a very brief stop and a very long journey. And so her her particular belief system, in my case, made it much easier for me to not drink over. But drinking wasn't wasn't an option for me. I couldn't tell you how I got to that place. I'm not really sure because I couldn't. I, I used to put on Braveheart and watch the end over and over and over and over again so I could have a good cry when, you know, 
when I was out there drinking, so I love to wallow in emotion. But I, I did. I try and separate myself from from whatever whatever the emotion is. I try and kind of be in the third person a little bit because because we do love to kind of wallow wallow in emotions. I think it's really interesting that you bring up that we tried to we were celebrating when we felt good, but we were not feeling that feeling either. Isn't that amazing that maybe we were trying to drown out even the good feeling? What do you think? I think probably it's a double-edged sword. I, I think there's a part of us that, that probably is not feeling the, the purity of whatever the emotion is. Grief can be a good thing. Grief can be very cleansing. There's a time for grief. We, we need to grieve. but we, we probably don't ever really quite get to whatever the purity of that emotion is that we're trying to feel. We're probably trying to probably search for it as, as, as hard as we are trying to block it out. Uh, I, I think it's a point of, of not getting caught up in whatever it is, you know. Um, they, 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 say that, they say that even love causes many of the same chemical changes in the brain that drugs and alcohol would as far as dopamine and serotonin and that kind of thing. So I think whatever, you know, whatever the emotion, whatever the emotion is, it, 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 you have to keep yourself a little separated from it. You, you want to feel it, you want to experience it, but you, you don't want it to consume you. Jeff, do you think that maybe that's why so many newcomers in recovery are right out there trying to look for relationships and try to get that good flood of chemicals? And what else do you think they're looking for? Oh, well, un- undoubtedly, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a big question. I, I I think when we first get sober, alcohol allows us to to feel things as much as it does to block stuff out. It, it gives us the feeling that we have a control mechanism, a safety zone that we can you know, if we get to feeling something too much, we can we can block it out. We can, you know, we can drink and search for it. Undoubtedly, that's uh, I, I I was certainly thought I was ready for a relationship. Uh, in rehab. <laughs> I think maybe also they're looking for something else to help mask that pain, to have somebody else love it away or be kind and do those different behaviors. Yeah, emotions can be a high also. Right. So you've been through the process of having loss both sober and you've been through it with not being sober. What do you think the difference is? How is the process delayed? Do you think that sometimes maybe somebody gets high going through a, a very distressful grieving period just to save themselves from killing themselves? Boy, that, that, that's a good question. I, what, the, the grief that I went through, I lost my father in 2002 and I was, I was not sober yet. I was, I was a functioning alcoholic for a very long time. I love that term, functioning alcoholic. <laughs> You know, d- define functioning when the bar is set down really low. <laughs> Jumbo uh, shrimp. You know, <laughs> when you trip over it half the time, it's just step over it. I'm not sure how functioning that is. But, uh, and at that time, I, I, I had my mom to, my mom was, was up there too, and she was she was not in her, quote, elder elder years yet, but but she depended on me very heavily. So I was, I was used to getting myself to work, and I was used to going through this thing. And my drinking at that point was as much to maintain a certain alcohol level so I could go out in the world and function, as, as opposed to... to the, the, the fun escape part was kind of over at that point. It was, it was necessary. Um, and my father, when I lost him, he, it was not a surprise. He was, he was at the end of his useful years in life, and his body was betraying him. So mm. um, to, 
to sit around and grieve would have been uh, it would have been a self-indulgent thing that I'm just doing for myself it would have had nothing to do with him he, he needed to move on and, and my mom was the same same way at her point in, in my mom's case there um, he had a very um, a devout spiritual belief system she did not go to medical doctors she the most hideous thing that could have ever happened to her would have been for her to have to have home care come in and, and clean her and diaper her like an infant. But to her, that was that was the ultimate removal of dignity and the most horrible thing that could have happened. And uh, we 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 pretty much gotten to that place right there at the end, and we did not expect it. It took a horrible turn at the end that we did not expect, and it was absolutely overwhelming for me here because she had always cared for herself. And, and uh, but it was, she she at that point had had been looking forward to the experience of moving on and crossing over. She was, she was very very into metaphysics and stuff, so she she made it much easier for everybody around her to go through it. But there were when we did have to call for help, um, the circumstances um, were be, became very hellish for those of us left behind here. To, to deal with in the real world, and it was it was extremely unexpected. But as for as for as much as I probably drank over fear, you know, fear probably kept me out there drinking for a very very long time. Fear of of life on life's terms, and and just fear of having to deal with reality without a cushioning zone. In this particular case, fear kept me sober because I, I I'd have been scared to drink. I'd have never survived the circumstances if I'd been drinking. So. Right. This is one case when, when fear kind of fear probably kept me sober because I, I I had too much on my plate to do. I knew if, I knew if I even flirted with the idea, you know, because the drink starts in the head. It doesn't, you know, it, it's it's in our head that, that the whole thing starts. So Absolutely, I just, I, I, I do believe I, I didn't I didn't even flirt with it. I it's just. You know, I, I I was out there too long. I, I worked really hard to even commit to getting sober. <laughs> right, right. No, I definitely believe that the relapse does start in the mind before we start the actual drinking. Jeff, thank you so much for sharing. We're going to go to Jay. Jay's in Palm Desert, California. We're having a little California reunion out here. Jay, welcome to Sober in the City. Hi. Thanks for having me. My uh, pleasure. Really enjoyed listening to Jeff share. Can you share a little bit about what your experience is with grief, relapse, grieving properly, not relapsing? Share and give us our listeners sure. some tools. Sure. I've had lots of experience in it. Um, I've come, I came to California in 1996 to get sober, and uh, I had a real tough time getting sober where I lived in Chicago <clears throat> because I just wasn't ready. And... Um, Unbeknownst to me, you know, my higher power, who I choose to call God, led me here to Palm Springs, California to get sober. And uh, it, it, my sobriety date is June 10th, 1996. And while I was uh, in rehab here, uh, I decided that I really liked what was going on here. I was really into... Uh, you know, being locked up and being safe from myself because I'm, I hope I can mention this, I'm a product of the 60s. <laughs> so beside alcohol, I used a lot of powdered alcohol and other packaged goods. Oh, no, you can talk about and, anything uh, here on Sober in the City. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> we put I'm it all out there. 
<laughs> I'm a recovering heroin addict. Okay. And, uh, um, you know, I liked what Jeff said because I also, too, was a functioning uh, alcoholic. Uh, you know, it started in the 60s being fun and being a good time, and it became a way of life, and it became uh, what myself and all my friends did. And I basically never drew a sober breath for 29 years unless I ran out of something or, you know, maybe a day or here or there. But 29 years, I was always loaded. So when I would be asked these questions in rehab about my feelings, I, I couldn't identify a feeling. Or did I drink out of fear? Or did I do this? Or did I drink because things were bad or, or good? It just was what I did. And it became a way of life. And then somewhere along the line, you cross that fine line. And, you know, then it was, especially with um, the later uh, part of my drinking career, when I took it to the major leagues, especially with heroin, it was, you know, a, such a daily routine for the last seven years of my active alcoholism that um, anybody that's familiar with that knows how sick you get if you can't do it. I tried countless attempts to get clean and sober on my own or by going to AA meetings. I would be the perpetual newcomer where I would show up every day being the guy raising my hand saying, I got loaded yesterday. I went and got loaded yesterday. But somehow I sensed there was enough magic in these rooms and hearing people's stories that no matter how incomprehensibly demoralized I was, I just kept coming back. And thank God I was, you know, a lot of people after you're doing this for two, three and a half years, uh, they kind of start to move away because they don't think you're ever going to get it. But thank God I had a core of about six or seven people that just hung in there with me. And, you know, they were just like, hey, we know you're going to get blasted after the meeting. Please just come back uh, tomorrow. And as I look back on that, they saved my life. But I also realized how foolish that is because so many people go out and never can come back. So that's a little brief history of me. But yeah, when I got out of rehab here in Palm Springs, I decided to stay in California. And I met my who became my best friend and a couple other guys who were like my go-to guys for the next uh, eight to 10 years of sobriety. We talked on the phone every day. It was just like my wingmen, my posse. They were the guys who we all got sober around the same time and we, we grew together. And within six months, all three of these guys died of cancer. Oh my One gosh. right after the other. So all of a sudden, I'm like 12 years sober, and I'm like lost. I got nobody to talk to anymore. I mean, I still had my sponsor, I still had friends, but these were the guys I walked through the trenches with for the first eight to 10 years of my sobriety. Wow. 
And then I, on the night of June 6, um, 2009, I was walking in to see, I used to live in Colorado, so I was walking in to see a very favorite band of mine, Firefall, from Colorado, and I got a call that my mom had had a major stroke back in Chicago. So, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, I went into, like, suspended animation, um, and the next four days were just, I'm here in California, She's back there living with my sister. I'm getting these phone calls. So on the morning of June 10th, I went to my home group. I always attended the 7 a.m. meeting at a place called Fellowship Hall in Palm Desert. I believe you need to get a foundation and a home group and stick with that routine. Um, and the morning of June 10th, I took my uh, 13-year cake. And immediately after that, I jumped on a plane back to Chicago and got to spend the last few hours with my mom before she passed away that night. And out of routine um, and out of wanting to celebrate her life, I, the first thing I did the next morning was got up and went to a 7 a.m. meeting that I'm connected with in Highland Park, Illinois, when I used to go back and visit my parents. And uh, reiterating what Jeff said, my father had passed away in 1990, and I was not sober. And I spent the next six years loaded. I never felt anything. But let me tell you, when all these four people that were the closest people I had in my life at that time, when I was sober, passed away, I never knew grief could be so debilitating and so paralyzing. Ugh, that's the I worst. Just, yeah, I just kept trying to suit up and show up. Um, I turned to food. I started medicating with food, and I saw how I was using food like alcohol. Like, I would eat like I would get high. You know, I would binge eat, and then I would just be like, oh, I feel terrible. You know, it, it the disease was manifesting itself in so many different things to try to make me not feel that it was such a growing experience and such a learning experience. Now, I knew that if I got loaded, because it was so hard for me to get sober, that it wasn't going to be just like a couple beers or this or, you know, when I got high, it was decades. And I just wasn't prepared to give up everything I had come. I learned, you know, that being sober is the best buzz I've ever had. Be it if things are terrible, if things are great. Um, it's just, and I think I was a afraid to get sober because I had this fear of the unknown. You know what? Wow, what do I do if I don't get in the car and roll a joint or <laughs> if I'm not drinking a Johnny exactly. Walker? Or, you know, it's just like how do you have fun? And the the thing that um, was I have to hand it to these guys was like we had so much fun being sober in those first 90, 180 uh, first year of our so 
society that I realized, man, this this is this isn't so bad, you know. It's like I I really it's it, I once a friend of mine while I was struggling said to me, Jay, it's harder to get sober than it is to stay sober. And that's a true story. I've heard that so many times. Jay, thank you so much for sharing everything with us. And I think it's so valid that you brought up that you were in that routine of going to a meeting and the next morning you got up and you went to that meeting and you were out of town and that was previously your hometown. But if we have to go to a service or go to something out of town, have something lined up ahead of time so that we're ready to go and do that. We've got Bruce on the line. Bruce is from Queen Creek, Arizona. Bruce, welcome to Sober in the City. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Bruce, you hear what we're sharing about this grief and relapse and grief and trying not to relapse. Can you share a little bit on the topic with us? Oh, without a doubt. Um, it's uh, the wonderful thing about uh, just being in recovery is that uh, I've already heard two of my stories already. <laughs> um, I can, you know, I, I can share, uh, you know, I loved what Jeff said and the question that you had asked about uh, just having any kind of feelings. Um, I, uh, I, I'm a product of, uh, of an insecure childhood, you know, grew up in a, in a, a verbally and emotionally, um, it was essentially a loveless home. And my father had, uh, had left me when I was a young child. Um, and never really thought much of it, you know, just kind of growing up in, in our social uh, society as it is. And even, you know, 44 years old now, even then, that was not a very uncommon thing. So like I grew up in the uh, 50s where, you know, families just kind of had that atomic family. But uh, I remember when my father, my biological father, had gotten word that he had passed away. I just started getting into using uh, drugs and found that, that escape. And, um, and, uh, I, uh, also touching on also what, uh, JJ had shared about too, is that I, uh, you know, I felt kind of that rejection that, you know, now my father was gone, I'd never get a chance to know him. And he ultimately left me and I continued to get high and I never really felt any of that grief, that remorse. Um, and, um, when I got sober the very first time, um, I didn't have anything happen that kind of triggered that response to that grief, but I started going through uh, counseling and, um, and I started having to deal with a lot of the stuff that I'd surpassed. And I, I learned er- earlier on that uh, I ran from any kind of feeling. I didn't feel like I was good enough to, to feel happy. Um, you know, we talk about the program about how we, good things start to happen to us and we start to sabotage them. Um, because, uh, I, I just don't feel as though I'm worthy of it. I didn't feel as though I was good enough for it. And the drugs kind of gave me that escape to be able to just what I thought was a balance in my life. And in turn was just going ahead and making my life, it was, it was creating more and more of that turmoil that, uh, proving to me that lie that I don't deserve things because addicts don't get things, you know, in active addiction. Um, you know, I, I wound up getting married. I was married for 16 years. Uh, I relapsed 12 years into that, uh, or not 12, the last 12 years of that 16 year marriage. Uh, and I had married my best friend. Um, and it ultimately through my active addiction had cost me, um, that marriage. And, uh, when I came back into the program, 
I came back in because I was on my knees and I'd hit a bottom and I had hit a bottom that I was struggling to hold on to, to using. And instead of a nudge from the judge this time, I got a nudge from the ex, uh, who is now an ex. And, um, when I came into the program, I came in with this thought process that, you know, uh, still with that addict brain, uh, it wasn't about the chemicals. It's about how I think and how I rewired my thinking. I came in thinking, well, I'm going to go ahead and prove to my family. I'm going to get clean. They'll all take me back. And, uh, and none of that ever happened. Uh, in actuality, when I, I came into the program four and a half years ago, um, you know, I left my home where me and my wife had hugged and kissed and said, will you go and you get clean and, um, and we're going to rebuild our family. And within 24 hours, I was told not to ever return home. And yet I still, and it's only through the grace of God that I continued to stay clean. And I didn't know what I wanted out of this program. I really didn't. At first it was okay, fine. I just want to stop having the shakes. Uh, I was, a uh, this neck last time through, I was 12 years using Oxycontin. Wow. And uh, I was so dope sick. I just wanted the sickness to stop. And uh, the last two years of my using was not so much for a high. It was a maintenance high. I was just getting high just to keep myself from being so deathly sick. Um, when I came in, um, I, I met my sponsor, who is now my sponsor today, and he discussed, he shared a story about an unshakable foundation. And I went up to him right after the meeting. I said, "How do I get that? How do I get that unshakable foundation?" And, uh, and he told me that, uh, he got that unshakable foundation from the stories he heard in the rooms and from the family he gathered inside. And the long story short, I started following all the guidance he gave me. And when the final time came up to where I actually had to sign the divorce, which has been the hardest thing in my recovery thus far, um, I had family members, people in the program that were there for me every step of the way. I had people stay with me for 24 hours. I didn't even ask them to. If they had to go to work, someone else came and stayed with me. Not because they were afraid I was going to use, but solely for the fact that they loved me because I was having problems and I was dealing with a hardship and they just wanted to be there for me. So I had somebody. So important to have that support system around us. Thank you so much for sharing that. Bruce, Jay, and Jeff, thank you for being here with us. And when we come back, more about grief and relapse. What grieving have you tried to avoid by getting drunk and high? How has it worked out for you? And what can we have done better? 800 Sober 5 We're going to take a quick break for our sponsors who make this show possible. Maybe give our sponsors at Believe a call and let them know you're glad Sober in the City is on the air. We'll be right back. Believe Treatment Center, we understand 
We understand you are struggling. That's why our treatment nourishes mind, body, and spirit. We understand that recovery works differently for everyone. That's why we design individual treatment programs specifically for you. At Believe Treatment Center, we understand that it's not easy. That's why we offer a comprehensive scope of services, including nutrition, massage, chiropractic, and aftercare for you and even for your family. Believe Treatment Center is a 12-step friendly, state-of-the-art facility located in gorgeous Palm Beach County, Florida. We are experts in all types of addiction and recovery, and we are proud sponsors of Sober in the City. To find out more about our program and how your insurance may cover your treatment, call us today at 1-855-874-2354. That's 855-874-2354. 1-855-874-2354. Or visit BelieveTreatmentCenter.com. Believe Treatment Center. We understand. Are you a suffering addict or alcoholic? Is someone you know struggling with this disease? Let the Freedom From Addiction Foundation assist you with our acclaimed intervention and recovery coaching services. For a very affordable fee, we can set up and perform on-site interventions, ongoing treatment supervision, and personalized recovery and life coaching services. We are local, we are a nonprofit group, and we can work within your financial parameters by accepting most major credit cards and working with or without your insurance. Call today, 1-877-876-2329. 1-877-876-2329. Again, that's 1-877-876-2329. Are you a suffering addict or alcoholic? Is someone you know struggling with this disease? Recovery starts with one phone call. Call the Freedom From Addiction Foundation today. 877-876-2329.